Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show, or as I should say for today's episode, the Freak Show. That's right. The Freak Show logo that you see on my jersey is a wine by Michael David Winery. And today we interviewed David Phillips and Kareen Phillips, the founders of Michael David Winery. What I love about Dave and Kareen Phillips of Michael David Winery is that it's about so much more than just making exquisite wines. It's about philanthropy and giving back to your community and leaving the world a better place than when you left it. And something else that I really love about them is that they're really brave. They're not afraid to try new things. They're not afraid to jump in and do a marathon or a half Ironman triathlon or travel around the world. And they're really unpretentious and so friendly and welcoming. This is a conversation about how Dave and Kareen Phillips built Michael David Winery from just a farm stand and how they continue to grow and evolve in their business. As a business owner myself, I'm always really fascinated to hear about people's stories of entrepreneurship and how they endure the ups and downs, and especially how they fund all of these projects. Because starting a business, especially one that has a storefront and a product, involves risk-taking. So in this podcast, we talk about risk management and a bunch of other things that go along with building a business. My husband, Matt Iwanis, is also co-hosting in this episode. So let's get on with the Freak Show. Here is Michael David Winery. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Wow. Full disclosure. We just drank a couple glasses of wine. Uh, well, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about wine. That's so right. Sure we are. You want a winery? Yeah, we were just looking at those fig dessert, and Matt was actually up in a tree picking those figs yesterday. I loved it. I've got a second career dialed in case this whole financial advising <laughs> thing doesn't go anywhere. That's right. You can pick figs and what was the recipe? It was figs quartered and baked, uh, I think 400 degrees till bubbly and warm delicious. and delicious. Oozing. <laughs> and then put some nuts, whatever you got, and put it back in till they're brown and then eat it. No added sugar, nothing. nothing. Perfect. Yeah, amazingly delicious. Yeah, we had never actually had a fig right off the tree before, and you guys were like, what? You never had a real fig? That's Hurley, if you guys want to know who that the is. Whining isn't me. But Matt did a great job picking the figs. I was happy to climb up in the tree. And we're happy he didn't fall. To my death. Yeah, yeah so let's <laughs> set the scene here. We're in Lodi, California, which... Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong with the, the Zinfandel capital of the, the world. The Zinfandel capital of the world. All 40% of all the world's Zinfandels grown here in Lodi. And Dave is the owner of Michael David Winery and the Seven Deadly Zins is their... Is that your number one selling wine? Number one selling wine, yes, at the moment. But Freak Show's coming on strong. And guess who rides on the Freak Show team? Yeah. Yeah. Team Freak Show. But yeah, the uh, Seven Deadly Zins is the number one zin in the world as well, right? Right. And that's how I first found out about Michael David Winery was I had the Seven Deadly Zins wine, and that was my favorite wine. And at the time, that was my really expensive high-end wine that I would buy. You know, I was I was like a college, college student. That was like a really big deal to buy a bottle of the Seven Deadly Zins. Yeah. And... I went to a wine dinner when I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and Dave and Corrine were both there as the owners of the winery. And that's how we met. Yeah. Yes. How many years ago was that? I don't know. Probably like six or seven years ago. More than that, I think. More. Than More. That. Yeah. Well, you know, when you get older, time just flies. <laughs> but there was like some ribbon dancing or something. Yeah. Like, oh, the trapeze, like the ribbon kind of trapeze. Wow. Yes. And we did it. Then she said after the show, hey, who wants to try it after we'd been eating and drinking? 
Yeah. <laughs> it was like a Cirque du, Cirque du Soleil style ribbon thing. And it was actually really hard. And I think that Dave was the best at it. I think Dave and was. I, and I don't know how I figured out you were a biker. Did you have a road ID on your wrist or something? Or what? No, was I know it? what. We left the. Um, I'm like, oh, you dinner. ride? We, we were walking together after the dinner. And there were bikes parked on the sidewalk, as they are in Boulder. And it was the Ergon Grips. The oh, yeah. handlebars. And you're like, hey, those are Ergon. So what is that? Because we do a little mountain biking, and you said, "Yeah, these really help you to ride up the mountain." And and then I think it kind of went from there. Yeah, and I also had this hologram bracelet on. It was like old, you know, the old school hologram bracelets that are supposed to improve your balance. And oh, that's you it. You had yeah, this bracelet on one. too. Oh, yeah. And I actually didn't know that. <laughs> that was you a were, scam. That whole thing. Oh, I think that's. <laughs> you were Dave Michael David Weiner you're just like another guy at the thing and I just ran up to you and I was like ah we're the same bracelet this is awesome and yeah. then we just got to talking yeah yeah nice. so, so yeah you ride oh okay cool we, we're kind of getting into riding that's fun yeah not not only that you guys we had no idea like, she was world-class rider yeah. well, and you guys are like Ironman you guys do Ironman you know, uh, races marathon so it wasn't just, oh, you ride. It's like you guys have done a lot of really cool things in your life, including going to Nepal and doing the Annapurna circuit. And that was really interesting because a couple of years after I met you, I went to Nepal and did the same thing with my bike. So first of all, how did you guys meet? Oh, that's kind of a long story. I went to UC Davis, of course, where all winemakers go to school. And uh, I had a drinking buddy there named Debbie and Debbie was from Chicago and Korean and Debbie grew up together. So after I graduated, Debbie and I worked in the Bay Area and shared an apartment and Crane came out to visit her. And next thing you know, I said, hey, how, why don't we all like quit our jobs in, in six months? We're on our first jobs and we'll we'll go travel around the world together. And we ended up going to Nepal and hiking around Annapurna. It was pretty cool. So it's really fun reading your you had a, a blog or a daily update. I don't know what how you did that. But and that was about your biking and knowing we had done that track, granted we walked and it was decades previously, but but we knew exactly what you were doing and it was really fun. Well, the irony is you guys just went back recently. We did, we brought our kids. And yeah. unbeknownst to the, our kids, we are cool parents. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the other backpackers were like, wow, you're so cool, you're bringing your kids. They're these 20 year olds and they're traveling the world for months and months. We were like, yeah, we're only here for a month. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, wow, that's that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're the cool parents because like, you went skydiving with your son when he was 18, right? I did, yeah. Dave, Dave was... I do not skydive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly endorse the not skydiving. Yes, <laughs> it was really fun. I'm trying to convince Sonia to do it because it's I think really Sonia's really... much more likely than I. Oh, <laughs> it's so fun. It's really fun. It's true. So, so that skydiving is big around Lodi too. If you don't like wine, you can always come here and go skydiving. So mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like Lodi, California is not a place like people think of. Oh, Napa Valley, but yeah. Lodi, California, in my personal opinion, has much better wine than oh, Napa Valley. Uh, I wouldn't of, say that, but we have a lot more wine than Napa does. Yeah, we, but it depends what you like, right? Right. If you like Zinfandel, yeah, Napa's not the place. Yeah. So Lodi is the place for Zin and. Things are, yeah, but we also have room for experimentation in Lodi because our land costs a lot less than Napa, so we can afford to experiment and grow different things. So in Lodi, there's 150 different varieties of grapes growing here. It's really a treasure. It's incredible. And in Napa, you really can't afford to grow anything besides Cabernet or wines that are in high demand. So 
you know, it's pretty cool what's happening here. And, and besides those 150 varieties, we also have the oldest vines in North America in Lodi because there's deep sandy soil here. So the vines never died from a disease called phylloxera. So we've got, you know, 100, 130 year old vineyards that were producing grapes, you know, getting us great grapes with great potential to make great wine. And we're really having fun with that. Yeah, it was funny. We did, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but we did an event today called the Giro Divino. And we rode by one of the old vineyards that had 100-year-old vines, and we actually got to taste some of the grapes. Yeah, those are old Tokay vines, which are very rare now because Tokay used to be a big eating grape in the country. But what we do still have is old vine Zinfandel, mostly, and a lot of old vine Petit Syrah. And then we have a 130-year-old vineyard of Cinso, which is very special to us. But, you know, they're... These old vines are really a treasure, and we're lucky to still have them. And we're lucky that our great great grandparents planted these vines, and they're still producing. And you know, they might live to be over two hundred years old. You know, that's amazing stuff. Yeah, and speaking of great great grandparents, this is your your business, Michael David Winery, is a family owned business, and it all started. It did start started with your father, right? The winery part, yeah, nineteen eighty four was when we officially became a winery. And I was at school at Davis at the time, but my brother and my dad bonded the winery and got it going. Um, but yeah, we but our family's been farming the same land here since 1865. Wow. wow. So yeah, we're so Michael, my brother, and I are fifth generation on the same land. So when you were growing up, I mean, it's a it's a family business. So were you thinking, oh, I'm definitely going to stay in Lodi and be a farmer? Oh no, one. <laughs> yeah, you know, back in the eight, you know, 70s and 80s, I graduated from high school in the early 80s. I, Lodi was, you know, it's a pretty conservative place, and you know, the Central Valley of California is kind of a red state in the middle of a blue state. Like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm going with the big city. I'm going to college. I'm never moving back here. Well. You know, you meet your wife and decide to raise kids, and Lodi's not such a bad place. So we decided to move back, and after we went around the world together and got married, we moved back and started a family, and, you know, Lodi's been really good to us. Lodi's in a good location. We're right in the middle of California. You know, we're an hour and a half east of San Francisco, and it's less than two hours to go to the Sierra Nevada Mountains with great skiing. We all love to ski. You know, snow sports are one of our passions, so it's a great place to be. Yes, but I heard that Michael David Winery started as a farm stand. Oh yeah, we still grow a little bit of fruit and vegetables. Yeah, it was a yeah the story back in the late fifties. My dad was a teacher, ag teacher, and he and but also farming. He farmed at night when he had time, and he was growing tomatoes to sell to the cannery. And some of my older brothers uh, at the time, I wasn't even born yet. But my parents had a lot of foster kids and, and adopted some kids at the time. And they put up a card table on the side of the road and started selling baskets of tomatoes for 25 cents a basket. So that's how our roadside businesses started. And we, so I grew up with you know, selling produce at fruit stands and then we got into the farmer's market business. And you know, so we're growing fruit and vegetables mostly. We still grew wine grapes, but we sold them to big wineries. This was back, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. And uh, yeah, but fruit and vegetables was the main business. So it was, uh, and that helped to uh, grow the winery. I was selling tomatoes to buy the next tank and to buy the next, you know, barrels to make the wine back when we were growing. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> 
So who decided to make that change from a from a basically a farm and farming community to wine? I mean, was it? Uh, yeah, well, my brother and I together. After we went, Korean and I went around the world and came back um, in you know 1989, 90, about then. You know, I joined my brother in farming, and uh, you know, it was, and then it was about 1997. Um, we were, you know, we were making a little bit of wine, selling it at our fruit stand, and and uh, a, a gentleman came up and said, "Hey, my name's Barry, and I'm here to help Lodi become a better wine growing region." And he wanted to help, so we said, "Okay." Let's make some more wine, and then he's a wine making, yeah, winemaker. Yeah, so so that helped, and then and then one of the blessings in disguise, a big winery that we we're selling our grapes to, said, "Oh, sorry, we can't buy your grapes anymore. There's a glut. This is 1997-98, right in there. We can't buy your grapes anymore because you know we have too much wine and we can't sell it all. And you know, so now what do we do?" I said to my brother and. Well, I guess we'll just have to start making more of our own wine and take matters in our own hands. So we did, and we got really got lucky. All of a sudden, we started winning gold medals, and and uh, then in 2002, we came up with this crazy idea to, you know, thanks to going to Catholic school, to make a wine called the Seven Deli Zins. It was we happened to have seven different lots of Zinfandel in the winery one day, and my brother and I were barrel tasting and said, well, what would happen if we just blended all these into one wine instead of making seven different lots of Zinfandel? So that's what we did, and it became a ginormous hit. So, Yeah, that's so cool, and I love stories about that where you just not, you're not really sure what's going to happen, but you have an idea, and you just kind of move forward with it and see what happens. And a lot of times it turns out to be this really crazy thing that, ha- that you never could have imagined would have happened. Yep. Yeah, so were you guys nervous, though, whenever you were like, oh, maybe we'll call it Seven Deadly Zins and some of the other names of your wines? Like, were you nervous that you were going to get in trouble or people would not yeah, like you because of that? Yeah, yeah, we, because yeah, we, we got those from seven different growers, friends and neighbors of ours. And so we actually had a lunch and asked them all, are any of you going to be offended if we name this wine after your seven vineyards and call it Seven Deadly Zins? And they're like, no, great idea, do it. So... So we made a thousand cases in 2000 in the year from the year 2000. We sold the first bottle in 2002 and it just was a, you know, an instant hit. And then sales just started to go crazy and we had to keep making more wine and, and trying to find more grapes. And it just, you know, kept going and going and going. So now it's a worldwide brand. It's pretty cool. But you like to have fun with your label. We like having fun. Yeah. We wanted to make wine accessible. We wanted to make wine unpretentious. We want to make wine fun. And yeah, because you That's know, their labels. yeah. So, and some of your other labels are also kind of down that sort of Catholic, you know, oh, the, sort of the lust the, and the yeah, yeah. rapture, yeah. rapture, the rapture. Yeah, How it's many, our high end Cabernet. And reverends by wine. Like, like oh great. yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. We if we can sell wine the Bible Belt in Texas, Oklahoma, then we know we're doing our job. That's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, I like the edgy names of all the different wines. Like you have a lot of the individual zins as well, and they're right. like gluttony. gluttony and sloth and greed. Yes, rage. Yes, <laughs> and they're just amazing. I mean, beautiful wines. Like they're spectacular. Thanks. Yeah, so a lot of people that follow me see Freak Show on my jersey, and most yeah. people know that it's a Cabernet. So, how did that wine come about? Well, we have a couple guys in our marketing department. You know, Mike and Paul 
They're, you know, young, hip guys, and they brought the idea to us and said, we think this name will really sell. And, you know, we we're kind of skeptical. Freak show. Why would anyone buy a wine called that? But eventually they talked us into doing it, and it turned out to be a big hit. Um, yeah, we made a Cabernet. It's going, getting great reviews. You know, it's a 90-point Cabernet that sells for 20 bucks. So there's not many of those around. And... So it's growing very fast, and now we've expanded the Freak Show line, adding a red blend to it too, and that's doing well. So, and the if you haven't seen the label, it's a crazy circus you know theme label with all kinds of circus characters from you know like a hundred years ago. You know, the strong man, the beard, yeah, yeah, the... oh yeah. <laughs> Try to be politically correct with it, but you know, always on a little bit on the edge. Yeah, and there's some interesting references to like the deadhead kind of stuff. Yeah, the guy who drew the labels of Lodi. All of our labels are designed by people in our hometown here of Lodi. So this guy's named Ben, who designed the Freak Show label, and he's a deadhead, former deadhead. And, Wait, what's uh, a deadhead? Follower of the Grateful Dead. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. So, Sorry for people. the younger audience. <laughs> <laughs> so he likes to put all kinds of hidden messages into the labels and stuff. So it's kind of fun to look at the. Every time I look at that label, I find something new, a new face, a new hidden meaning in there. So it's always good. Yeah. And with the new one, the Freak Show blend, your face is actually in the Freak Show. Oh, yeah, they snuck us in. Snuck yeah, my think, brother and I in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you guys want to check out the Freak Show Blend, look for Dave's face. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to ask a question about sort of starting the business and maybe more specifically to Kareen. As a family business, I mean, this this is multiple families, right? So you've got your brother, you've got each other, and I know both of you worked in the business What's that like to make that decision to go into business, into a family business where you don't have a pension, you don't have a guaranteed income, you don't have all these things, and you're raising a family and all these things. So what was going through your mind, maybe maybe specifically Kareem, to go, I mean, maybe this might be David's idea or David's family, but you're you're along for the ride. So what are you thinking right at the beginning? Well, in the beginning, I was working at another winery. I was at Woodbridge. <laughs> Robert Mondavi was paying our bills. Well, yeah. I had the insurance. And... <laughs> well, back in college, I flunked out of organic chemistry, so I did not end up majoring in enology. So luckily, I married a very smart chemist, and Corrine was a worked in the lab at Robert Mondavi Winery back in the 90s until we had our second child. And then my brother said, oh, we need someone to work in our lab part-time and end up being a full-time job where she built our laboratories as we grew from a tiny winery into a major winery. And Well, Mike's wife, Christy, is a nurse, was a nurse at the time, so she was kind of floating they're helping their family in that way. So yeah, Mike and I weren't making much money back then, so <laughs> we were relying on the wives. So the wives are propping everything up. Oh yeah, you guys are... yeah. So we had to sell all of her Robert Mondavi stock to buy our first Volvo when we had our child. <laughs> Make sure we had a safe car. <laughs> Which would have been a really good move to keep it because it became Constellation stock, which is hitting all-time high this week, but whatever. <laughs> What's well, so about the Lodi taking care of Lodi, right? You guys had opportunity yeah. here. And... Yeah, so. The business has grown and Mike's, and Mike's kids have yeah. come back. And... and we're really proud of – we always talk about Lodi first because – you know, when, when the wineries started growing back in the late 90s, there was only five wineries in Lodi. We had our first open house weekend in 1997. 
where we invited the public to come tour Lodi, and there's five of us. And and now today there's over 100 wineries, and that's really cool because we encourage our neighbors that had grapes to start their own winery. And and the other cool thing about Lodi is it's all there's 800 family farms here growing grapes. It's not corporations, and it's family, and and that's really important. And we buy grapes from 65 of those families, and we really like giving back to the community and supporting you know local kids and the FFA and 4-H programs here and things like that, and, and trying to send as many kids off to college as we can because the Central Valley of California still is a very depressed area when it comes to economics and education levels, and we're really trying to improve that. Yeah, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to go back and talk about. Number one is you said that there's people around you that were farmers and you encourage them to grow grapes and start wineries. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times business owners will or even just people in competitive environments will not encourage people to join the join the the fight or whatever you want to call it, join the, the arena. And it's a really important lesson and a really amazing example that forming a, a group and forming an environment of inclusivity and encouragement instead of cutthroatness, it, it really helps build build the bigger picture. And the fact that you had that in mind as a small winery is really cool. Yeah, and that really is part of the, the wine business in general. It's a very small industry when it comes down to it. You, gotta, you don't want to burn any bridges. And uh, everybody really does get along and help each other. You know, there's all kinds of stories like, oh, if you run out of a... You know, a certain count, you need some yeast for your fermentation and you ran out, you just call your neighbor down the street and he's happy to bring you a bag, you know, and it's all these cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really nice because and I, I come from the bike industry and it's definitely not always like that. It's, it's a really <laughs> a little tough, more cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. It's a little more cutthroat, especially like I'm, I don't own a bike shop, but lots of my friends own bike shops and it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. So yeah, we as the we did the Giro Divino today, which was riding from a 50 mile ride from winery to winery. But that was really awesome to see because we were riding with Dave and Kareen and you guys were promoting each winery. You knew each winemaker. They all knew you. Mm-hmm. And the sense of community was obvious. It wasn't just, you know, just something lip service. You could actually see you. You actually knew everybody and they knew you. And it was really fun for us as outsiders to be sort of part of that community for a few moments. So that was really, really neat. Yeah, it really is a great community here in Lodi. And, and I think most wine regions experience the same thing. They're, everybody works together to promote their region. And it's just a great industry to be involved with. And, and even though it's an alcohol business, it's still everybody's into living a healthy lifestyle. And we think that wine drinking can be part of a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you guys do so many different events in Lodi. I mean, I was here a few years ago for a running race that you put on. Mm-hmm. The what is it called? The Womble. Womble Rumble after my old high school coach, yeah. And we built our new track at the high school after raising money at that race to build a new track for our kids here. Named it after my high school coach, Don Womble, a great guy. And uh, yeah, we're promoting running and fitness for kids in high school, and we work closely with the coaches and teachers at, at our local high schools and try to get more of the kids um, involved in athletics. And we're getting, and now we're getting scholarships for these kids and sending more kids to college. And that's, you know, really exciting. <laughs> so now you, you're involved with coaching a lot of the running teams, are you not? Oh, I just help a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> but all my best friends tend to be coaches, yes. So, And it's really exciting when we see kids excel and get full-ride scholarships to great universities. That's really cool. 
Yeah, and you mentioned FFA, which I wasn't familiar with until just a few days ago. So tell our audience a little bit about that. and what well, FFA is Future Farmers of America. That's a high school level nationwide group. And there's also 4-H, which younger kids are involved with. And those kids, a lot of them raise uh, animals here locally. And then they sell, they have to take out a loan, buy, you know, buy the animal, feed them, and then they sell them at the county fair. And um, because we have a restaurant at our winery, we buy a number of steers, pigs, and goats, and uh, what else? <laughs> and uh, we serve that meat at our restaurant. And it's healthy, you know, well-raised uh, animals that are, you know, free of, well, all the nasty stuff that's in corporate meat production. So, and it teaches the kids how to run a business and how to, you know, raise an animal properly. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. You've done so much for your community. I mean, these are just a few small examples. And when I was here last time, you were walking us through town, just telling us stories about a lot of these businesses and you personally have supported them to give back to your community. And I think that like you're not somebody that does it for recognition at all. And you're somebody that just really cares a lot about your community and, and encouraging and helping people. And it's such a great example of what it means to be a successful business owner and a good person. And it's a really great and inspiring example to see that. And I, I just want people to know that because it's, it's inspired me in big ways thinking, well, how can I give back and what can I can, what can I do? And what would you say to people who maybe want to get involved in their community and, and like what that feels like? You know, you just, you just want to do good and, you know, help others and help, and... well, help people to help themselves, you know, you know, hand up, not a hand out, try to get people to follow the right path. You know, we're not religious people, but we're like big fans of the, the Dalai Lama and following the middle path. And uh, you don't need to feel guilty for being successful, but at the same time, you need to you don't want to live in excess. You want to give back. And well, we mostly help our foundation. We help the elderly and the youth. Yeah. That's our um, mission. So it's really fun to help kids and they don't realize what's out there. So we try to show them what's out there and the possibilities. And, and to, when they realize that, wow, I can do this. And wow, there's things like I can go to college. And, yeah. Um, and I can run faster or I can do triathlons and and just to watch their growth and that's it's so exciting and motivating and we, we want to help more kids and then more kids so just find your passion and help whatever you can do yeah like there's some some really great research out there behind purpose and motivation and finding your purpose is a, a really can be a really difficult question for some people but whenever you make your purpose something greater than you you always hear about people's like top athletes Whenever they win something, they don't just make it about them. They make it about other things or people who have done great things in their lives. They make it about lots of other things that they've done. And whenever you can make your life meaningful in the way that you're, you're thankful and, and contributing to things that are more than just you personally, it does give your life a lot more meaning and to know that you're leaving the world a better place than you, than you left it whenever you came in and that's a, it's, it's helpful to surround yourself with people who are doing that because there's a lot of people in this world who are the me first mentality and it's easy to go down that path and get stuck in that. So it's really neat that you guys are there, especially for kids. You're a great example to show that, hey, look, like you can contribute to your local community and you can make a difference in a really big way. Yeah. And there was, um, David mentioned we, the community and we raised money for the, the all weather track at the high school. 
And there were some older kids, like juniors and seniors, and it was going to be multi-years to raise all the money. And so these older kids, they knew that they were never going to run on that track, but they were willing to uh, to help and fundraise with 24-hour yeah. relays. And Yeah, we do 24-hour relays with all the kids running around the track, the old dirt track. Yeah, we did that a couple, and, a couple of years. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, um, but it was just great. And then... One of the coaches would say, you know, when you, when you come back, you graduated, but you come back home, you can look at that new track and say, I helped build that. And so that was, that was really cool though for those, I think for those kids, yeah. knowing they would never benefit. So now we need to get a new pool built in Lodi too. So that's, <laughs> that's a much more expensive project, but yeah, we, we really want to see better sports facilities for our kids and, and our seniors and a healthy lifestyle for everybody. Yeah. Um, so that's something we keep working on. And you guys also support like multiple athletic, you know, you have teams, you have cycling teams, you have yeah, yeah. high school support systems. Yeah, we love the winery to have, yeah, in general. A, I mean, you were just telling us. Yeah, mountain bike racers. Uh, we have uh, Xterra racers, you know, Ironman. Um, yeah, a lot of Criterium and road racing teams members here in the area. And, uh, a couple MMA fighters. And a couple of games. <laughs> Yeah, if you're MMA fans, Nick and Nate Diaz are friends of ours that live here in Lodi. And, and they do triathlons. And they do triathlons. And, and one of them, I think, is a plant-based athlete as well. Oh, right. both of them are, yeah. Yeah, yeah both yeah. of them are. Yeah. I got to get them on the show. <laughs> you can kick people's butts. Yeah. I heard some very funny stories about <laughs> <laughs> butt kicking and yeah. comments about spandex. And oh, yeah. No, oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, they're good guys. They're uh, even though that the MMA makes them out to be, you know, the tough guys from the gangs of Stockton. They're really just good guys locally here. Yeah. So with the winery, you get to travel all over the world because there's tons of different countries that sell Michael David wine. Wines. Yeah, I think we're in 32 countries now. My last wow. count. So yeah, my son and I are heading over to Vietnam in two days to promote the wine there, and then going to China and Indonesia to promote the wines. So it's pretty cool. I never thought we'd sell our wine all over the world, but it's kind of fun to do that. Yeah. So from like a growth and scaling point of view, it's a real challenge for businesses to not grow too fast and to be able to, to manage that. So what is your philosophy with, with scalability? Yeah, you know, we, we got so much luck involved all the way through, you know, really with, you know, we got lucky that, you know, I'll put a plug in here for Bank of America because they came in and said, you know, we believe in what you're doing and we're going to loan you all the money you need. And that, that doesn't happen too much to a family owned business. And, you know, cause it, it's very capital intensive business that we're in and takes a lot, you know, to buy, you know, barrels cost, you know, $1,400 each for a French oak barrel. Wow. And, and we have a lot of them. <laughs> you know, we, we have, you know, and you have to buy new ones every year, every year you have to buy new ones, you know, so it's, it's, you know, there, so there really is a lot of high costs involved into the production side. And as we were growing fast, it was very difficult to keep up with that. But yeah, you know, we we have, and now we we employ 180 people now. I mean, that, I think that's that's the best charity anyone can give is growing your business and giving people jobs. You know, that's you know that's better. That's the best charity you can do. So, giving people good, high paying jobs. Yeah, there's like a lot of there's a lot of risk involved too. I mean, how do you go to sleep at night knowing, oh well, <laughs> I, I've invested all this money, I, I I've got all these loans yeah. out, I've reinvested in my business. Yeah, well, it's a, it's getting easier as we become more successful but yeah there was a it was a it was a hard <laughs> hard 10 years of growth there that were 
It was a lot of restless nights. One yeah. of the, the most interesting things I think is uh, that I heard from from you guys is that first sort of like you said the first ten year period you're going through like spectacular growth and I think mm-hmm. most people think well if you're going through like doubling your business it's got to be like money's falling out of your pockets every which way you look. Nope, it's, it's complete opposite. Totally the opposite. Like <laughs> you're like I had five credit cards I was rotating trying to pay off. Yeah, right. yeah we. Before um, before Bank of America came involved, we had our local bank, and they were telling us, you, you got to stop growing. You're growing too fast. Like, you only get a chance like this once in your life when you are you have a product that's a big hit, and you got to do it. And so, so every dollar you make is getting reinvested, then you've got yep. to double down and then reborrow and... And then 10 years later, you finally get to the point where you have a little bit more right. stability. Yeah, it takes a long time. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, that, uh, there's, there's a joke in the wine business, you know, how do you, how do you make a, a small fortune in the wine business? Start with a big one, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that, and that's, that's not what Lodi is. Lodi, it's not doctors and lawyers and athletes who've already made their millions starting a winery. It's fifth generation family farms here in Lodi that, have started wineries and it's a very different uh, way of doing business, but it's, you know, it's uh, happening and, and uh, yeah, we're very proud of our region. So in the last sort of 10 years, have you seen the community change as there's been more, have you, would you say most of the wineries in Lodi are family run and, and I think I saw a photo on the wall of all these different owners and business people of the region and, would you say the community has really changed in the last sort of 10, 15 years as, as those families have reinvested back in the community? It, it is changing. Yeah. Like I said, when I left for college, I'm like, I'm never coming back to this town, this conservative town. It's getting, you know, much better. You know, we have much more in the way of the arts and diversity in our community and uh, restaurants and, you know, and hotels. And, you know, we, we could still use some more chefs and we could still use some more uh, great places to stay but it's happening and well I saw it was kind of amazing because the old like his dad and that generation it the grapes it was more about quantity over quality so they did they did whatever they could irrigated lots of irrigation so that they'd have a really heavy crop and they would so they could get a lot of money while they weren't getting a lot of money the price per ton and then as that generation was dying and their children were taking over and they were going to college, they were getting educated. And then somehow, I don't know how it happened. I, I could see it happening. Just they realized that quality over quantity and to get quality, you need to thin your crop. Well, the old timers are like, why are you cutting grapes? That's money on the ground. But mm-hmm. what remains is gonna be a better quality. And then with a better quality, you'll get more money. So Lodi so evolved from a jug wine area into a premium wine area in the last 25 years. So. Yeah, since I, I moved here in 1990. So yeah. that I saw that evolve since I've been here. So, and of course, the next question has to be is the next generation comes in behind you. Again, it's a family-run winery. You and your brother both have kids. <laughs> I mean, crystal ball, but... You know, do you see something changing in the way that the next generation may do business, or is it still too too far away for for that to be obvious at this point? I think they're going to get it. They're well educated. You know, they're doing the right things. You know, my nephew and niece are you know in, partners with me now in the business, kind of doing a lot of the work that their dad did, and and our kids are still in college or just out of college, and 
Uh, and they all need to go work someplace else first, but we hope they come back to the business. But yeah, I think they're just going to keep evolving and making this a better place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also really interesting how our retail market has changed, especially over the last five to 10 years with online sales and the, the move towards direct to consumer sales. And yeah. what is it like in the wine industry with the, the brick and mortar liquor yeah. stores and also the the pressure to sell online you know that's huge for small wineries because you know what are we you know there's thousands of wineries in california but only you know you know less than a thousand of them get have distribution through the three tier system with distributors you know nationally so for a lot of small family-run wineries they need that direct-to-consumer sales to survive and so luckily now it it's legal for us to sell wine to, I think, about 40 states now that it's legal to ship wine to with, you know, mail order you know, or online sales. Whereas before, it was only, I think, 12 we could sell to in about 10. So we, we work a lot with the Wine Institute trying to lobby the states and the federal government to make, you know, sales of wine easier to do. Um, because, you know, since Prohibition, you know, we have all these crazy archaic laws. <laughs> that you know make it difficult to sell alcohol to other states and just to individuals so and all the 50 states have 50 different sets of rules so it's a very very uh complicated yeah, business but it's improving and um and luckily because of that direct-to-consumer sales a lot of small wineries are able to survive and thrive we do both we sell direct-to-consumer but we also luckily we got our distribution network going why we still could, you know, in the, in the last 15 years and we are distributing all 50 states and then 32 countries. So, so it's a uh, pretty easy for the consumer to find our products. Cool. And yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes for the winery and I'll put a list of some of my favorite Michael Dubin wines and also the freak show Jersey, which a lot of people don't know is actually for sale. So not mine specifically, but actually the freak show Jersey that has all the freaks <laughs> and today we did an event called the Giro Divino, which is a 48 mile ride around Lodi where you stop at different wineries along the way. And I definitely have not done a, a an event where you actually get to stop and your aid stations are wine tasting. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite fun. Yeah. But we were all outfitted in freak show wear and people loved it. They're like, oh, where can I get this freak show jersey? Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. Good stuff. And I've got a really important question because this has come up a lot in the last sort of couple of days because in your winery there's some there's some backcountry skis with freak show labels and yeah. and you're on a, on, a, on a road bike and you guys mountain bike and you run and you track on but what i want to know what i would do, really want to know is winter sport or summer sport because because you guys both do both your backcountry skiers, downhill skiers, cross country you do triathlon you do it all so if you had to choose i have an answer yeah in the summer, it's summer sports. <laughs> in the winter, it's winter sports. Yeah, but, you know, my my dad, uh, you know, we raised us going skiing, like, every weekend in the winter. He was on ski patrol because then you had, because uh, he volunteered ski patrol, but then you got free lift tickets for your, your family. So, so uh, we kind of grew up uh, doing that, and, I, you know, we love the snow sports and skiing, and, and now I'm getting into the backcountry stuff, and that's really fun. And our kids love to ski, so that's number one. But our kids also love, you know, running and doing outdoor activities and kayaking and all that, too. So we're, it's great to have an active family and to see your kids thriving, doing outdoor sports. And 
And I think I saw a photo of you. Was it your dad who ran a, was it a marathon? Or yeah, when I, when I was 15, I ran the San Francisco Marathon. This is 1979. And, <laughs> and my dad said, well, I saw these old guys out there running. And I think I can do that, too. So, you know, he, he did. And, and he was in his 50s at the time and started running. And he ended up running a marathon. And, and yeah, probably added years to his life. He made, he made it to 91. So he, it's pretty darn good. Yeah, you've taken on a lot of endurance challenges. I mean, an Ironman is nothing to sneeze at. It was a half Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 70.3. Like, most people here can't even imagine running, swimming, and biking. And your willingness to participate in a lot of different sports. I mean, last, like a couple times ago I was here... We're like, yeah, you should do the cross race. You, just, you said, okay, sweet, I'm in. And yeah. it's it's really cool. Like, how, how do you, what would you say to somebody that they have all these excuses or reasons why they shouldn't do something, but you just go out and do it. So how do you break down that barrier? Yeah, you, you never think you're going to be able to do that stuff, but yeah, you end up, you can. I, I remember when, you know, we... We have a cabin that we bought 10 years ago up in the Sierra Nevada mountains in a place called Bear Valley, a beautiful place. And there's a triathlon going on up there, you know, it's 7,000 feet. And I'm like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. Well, now we do that every year. And Kareen even got second place there this year. So. Yeah. 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 We saw you and Kareen racing today on the road. There, there, there was some hammering going on. We got on. dropped. Uh, we, we dropped Sonia, yeah. yeah I was, I was, only because she was on a road bike. I was, I was happy in my, my wine haze. I guess yeah, there might have so. been wine involved with that. Yeah. Uh, but I will say I, there's a lot of things I said I would never do. And... Because of Dave, I, I've done them. I was never gonna have the uh, clip pedals, yeah. <laughs> or I guess they're clipless. Or yeah, clipless. Oh yeah, clipless. It doesn't make any sense though, because it's like I know. That's why I don't know how to say it. Yeah. yeah, those shoes. I was never gonna have those bike shoes. That's what I said. <laughs> yes, I was never gonna have those, and I was never gonna ride more than like around the block, and I was never gonna run. I was never gonna do a triathlon. Yeah. And I was never gonna do a half marathon and all these, and I've done them. And so now I never say never. I'll just say at this moment, no. <laughs> but so Dave has taught me, Dave. Uh, but in fairness, I, out there. I have to out Kareen a little bit because she was an all American <laughs> gymnast in high school. So That's right. Kareen is legitimately an awesome athlete all on her own. And just because Dave is out there, <laughs> Kareen yeah. is the one attacking and saying, no, no, I can do this too. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great example of whenever you do something once, it builds your confidence to say, oh, well, I can do that and I can do that and I can do that too. So yeah. just getting started and doing little things outside your comfort zone and just having the willingness to try and trying not to attach any expectations or judgment on what happens when you try. Absolutely. It, it helps you keep doing great things in your life. And before you know it, you've done half Ironmans and you've skied and you've done marathons. And you've Dave's on the Boston Marathon. I mean, it really opens doors for you in your life. And by sitting there saying, oh, well, I don't know, like, I don't want to look stupid or I'm too slow or whatever. Like you're missing out on life opportunities by holding yourself back. So, yeah. Follow Dave. Get started. Follow Dave. Yeah. And, and Follow Dave. 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 He'll just go out there. He doesn't, I won't say he's last um, in the beginning when he tries things, but 
He doesn't care. He just goes out there. He has fun. He meets people. I mean, we met Sonya. I think I got last in my first cycle cross race here. Yeah, but wait, 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 no. <laughs> but I was on a mountain bike. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a cross bike. And, and no one really knows because everyone's just doing laps. So you yeah. don't know who's Runs. passed you three times yeah. or one time. Or... Just, just make it look good. Yeah. He finished strong. Yeah, he looked good. But it's just, I think it's and just who you meet. And like I said, we met Sonia and now Matt and well, yeah. It's and just then just being out in, in the race environment, there's amazing people and they, you know, these 75 year old people like pass you. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's really cool. Yeah. There's people in spandex. Or like, people like, why are they out here? And then real, they like really them. big, heavy people <laughs> passing me. Like, wow, that's and great. They're, they're yeah. there and it's, it, that's actually really motivating. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. People can do it. People can do it, and it's it's your own race. You can't look at other people. Exactly. Right. I think that's a really good link to. I mean, I think both of those skills link to entrepreneurship. Like you, you're in it for yourself and because of yourself, and you you do it for your own reward. But you're also supportive of other people, and those are the similar lessons you can take from sport to business. And and as a younger person, I would have never understood that link. But being older, I look back and I go, yeah, there's a lot of things that come from sport that really help with your life in general and the larger lessons you can learn from that. And it's, it's lucky that we've had those opportunities to have those. Wow, Matt, that's heavy and it's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you're, you're, you start out being in it for yourself, but then realize, you realize that, wow, like, well, it's kind of boring when I'm just doing this for myself and it really means a lot more to me when it's the bigger picture and doing this for more than just myself. And even when you're an individual athlete, it's really not just you. It's your family, it's your friends, it's your community that support that, you. People that watch you. It's that track at school that, that somebody built for you. It's that whatever it is. And it's yeah, a, yeah it's Absolutely. wonderful. You're never alone. It's, mm-hmm. it takes, yeah. Cool. I think that's a really great place to wrap it up. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and yeah. for having us at your home and sharing mm-hmm. all your wine and your support. Welcome to Lodi. Does, oh, does everyone know where Lodi is? It's like just an hour and a half east of San Francisco. Did we get that in there? What? No. Well, yeah, plug saying, the town. I see. I'll say. Fly to San Francisco. Where would you find it? Sacramento is a lot easier. We're only at 30 minutes south of downtown Sacramento. And there's a giant red rabbit in the airport. So if you like, <laughs> if you like Monty Python, you can totally make yeah. lots of Monty Python jokes. About <laughs> yeah, we, we want you all to come visit Lodi. It's a good place. To our Californians here for all you cyclist fans. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on in Lodi. It's a great place to visit. Yeah, yeah. Come, come to the Michael Dimmel Winery. Come see Dave. Yeah, Dave. Buy a Freak Show jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Buy some skis, some Freak Show skis. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. Cheers. Cheers. More wine. It was such a treat to get to go to Michael David Winery and do the Giro Divino and spend some more time with Dave and Corrine in Lodi, California. So if you guys ever find yourself in the Bay Area, they're only about an hour and a half or maybe two hours away from San Francisco. And you can also find a Sacramento airport. So if you're looking for a fun vacation where you can go wine tasting and meet some really cool people, definitely check out Michael David Winery. It's officially winter here in Kelowna, British Columbia. It's been snowing like a son of a gun, and winter is here to stay. It showed up a month early. I was looking forward to getting in some late fall riding after Brazil ride, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It looks like early winter riding and skiing is what's going to happen. 
And in the past, I've tried to avoid winter as much as possible, but this year I'm really going to try to embrace it. So I've signed up for a cross-country ski super camp. So I've only been cross-country skiing three times. So I figure it's good to learn how to cross-country ski properly. So skate skiing, because it's very technique focused and do some more downhill skiing, but also planning on getting away and doing some mountain biking in December. And my race season starts up again at the end of January. So lots going on and it's been really fun this month to be talking with so many different entrepreneurs for the podcast and there's some really interesting people coming up. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. I really do notice and I really, really appreciate that you spend your time paying attention to what I'm doing. It makes me feel really good. And it also makes me feel really good knowing that my guests are able to bring value to you. So if there is a topic or something that you want to hear about, send me an email, contact me through my website. I'm easy to find. And I personally read and respond to every single email and every single social media comment. So I definitely see what you guys are doing and whenever you guys are reaching out for me. And thank you so much for leaving reviews on iTunes. Those help so much with the searchability of the podcast. So if you can find a minute or two, if you don't mind leaving a review, it can be kind of tricky. Um, If you can't figure it out, just send me an email and I'm more than happy to help. If you're having a hard time figuring it out, you are not alone. And thank you to all of you who are contributing financially to my show on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding website. It allows you to donate money to the show so that we can build a better product and always continue to up what we're doing. I'm trying to build out a team around the podcast. So right now I have Romo, who's my audio producer, and just trying to build out a better way to schedule and keep in touch with everybody. If you haven't checked out the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group, I'm inviting you to do so. You don't have to be a vegan and you don't have to eat a plant-based diet to be a part of it. It's just a community page on Facebook where everybody's welcome to post. Everybody's welcome to share stories and ideas and recipes with one another. So I'm inviting you guys. You can check that out in the show notes or on Facebook. Just type in Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney and that will pop up. I hope you guys are having a great week and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week or on social media. 